0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It is my great pleasure today to welcome our guest, Fahad Nawaz, to the show. Welcome, Fahad. Welcome, everyone. Fahad is an enterprise relationship manager at LinkedIn. And what does that mean? It actually means he's an account manager, and we haven't talked to too many account managers, so we're super psyched to chat with him. And I say we because I have a a cool co-host today. It's actually a former guest, Katie Jane Bailey, who's a senior account executive at Figma, responsible also for the enterprise sector. Welcome, Katie Jane.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. Hi, everyone.
0: This this uh, should be a blast. I always love having new co-hosts and and Katie Jane was such a dynamic guest that it's a, it's a great opportunity to have her on again. We are going to talk about account management eventually, but we love to get to know our guests. So I'm going to ask you a question I I do typically ask folks, but I think I have not asked in a while, which is Bahad. Well, first of all, you have a quite interesting background of where you've lived over the course of your life. So I think this question maybe we'll get at that as well. But what's the first thing you ever remember selling when you were a kid?
2: Yeah, so the first thing I remember selling was uh, working in a sandals shop in Paris. And I was at the time 17 and trying to save money for prep school. And what was really interesting about the sandals shop was, and if I relate it to B2B sales was a lot of people would come into the shop and you would have two types of people. The person that didn't know what they wanted, so you could go and influence them and guide them through the shop into any kind of sandal they would like. And the person that didn't want to talk to you knew the sandal they wanted and just wanted the shoe size. And the difference, I think, with today when we look at B2B sales and how it relates is that Imagine a shop where everyone came in and you got persona number two. They all know what they want. They don't want to speak to the salesperson. They've done all their research online. And all they're asking you is, do you have a size eight for me? And it is a totally different experience than the experience I had selling sandals back in uh, 2008. Right. So I think it's really interesting when you think about that and how, you know, how sales has changed as well through the decades.
1: I would be curious to know, Bahad, if you find that people, that 60%, that gap, that 40%, you know, they might be 60% knowledgeable, but are they 60% bought in? Are they 60%? How would you define knowledgeable versus ready to buy? I
2: would say knowledgeable would be the people that have an understanding of all the different solutions that are available in the market. And they're just trying to find the right fit for them. Now, what's interesting, and if I go back to my example of the the sandals, is if you look at person number two that already know what they want. Usually, what you do in that scenario when a person is coming into the shop, you give them the shoe, and then you let them explain why they wanted this shoe for the different. And the characteristics they wanted. And once you start listening and understand that entire perspective, usually what happened at the time, uh, I would relate to them, very similar people that had the same uh, needs. And they actually looked at different options, including the one they looked at. And usually when you relate experiences from other folks that have very similar needs,
0: they'll tend to listen to you more. I, I want to put Something on hold, and we'll come back to it, which is this idea of the marketing of the sandals, right? It sets an expectation in the minds of the buyers that, you know, once they buy, you need to fulfill or not, which obviously translates so incredibly well over to the B2B sales world where the expectations that are set in pre sale need to be delivered upon during post sale. So we'll come back to that. Before we do that, one more retail digression here, which is uh, in reading your LinkedIn profile, I also saw that you worked at Disney World for a while. So I'm just curious. I've read all these books about business books about disney world and it's so fascinating how they've operated over the years i'm just curious what that what that experience was like i was
2: working in animal kingdom in a shop as well (laughs) and just you know greeting customers i can't remember the name of the ride but it was one of those rides in animal kingdom and i did that for like two or three months in florida which was awesome and talking about to your question about disney Similar to, I think, LinkedIn and and some companies, culture and value is really important. And what I loved about Disney is that they didn't call their customers customers. They call them guests. And it just changes your mindset in terms of how you think about people that are coming into uh, the attraction as, as you treat them as guests, not customers. And you're here to service them and guide them into the best experience possible. And this, this entire notion, I think, of customer experience has always been something I've been accustomed to throughout my life.
1: It sounds like that concept of a guest really resonated with you. Did you find that after that experience, you carried that with you to uh, new jobs?
2: I will say I carried it with me once I started working in sales. So what happened after Disney is I did a lot of internships in marketing while in business school. And I understood that I wasn't going to be a great marketer. So (laughs) once I landed in Singapore, the one thing I realized is I loved talking with uh, prospects and customers. And what I carried with me was making sure that the individual that you're listening to gets the best experience possible as he's listening to you through either the pre-sales as your BDR or even the post-sales experience. And I think about that all the time with my existing clients in terms of how can I build the best experience for them and meet their
0: expectations. Well, let's pick up that thread around expectation setting. And and I'm curious, there's no, I, I'm making an assumption, which I don't know if it's true, but it's it's the conventional wisdom that in pre-sale AEs overpromise. Is that generally something that you've you've seen or is it just a fiction?
2: I will say it depends. My experience with LinkedIn is that often what happens is that the customer is thinking that's going to be easy. And that's the difficulty, is that the experience as a customer is not an easy one and you need to set the expectations with them. So you're sold into this idea in reference to LinkedIn to modern selling and how digital is going to change the way they sell. And What we're really doing is changing behaviors, seller's behaviors. And to change behaviors is not an easy thing. And I think the customer needs to understand, you know, what is it going to take to go through the change management curve? And depending on the types of people they have within their organization, it may take way longer than, you know, other organizations. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, my job in the first discussion as an account manager is to set expectations based on all the information I have. And if they were sold the dream, trying to put that dream as a reality as we work working together into the next coming months and years.
1: Okay. I think that is so interesting what you just said, because I think that when someone's Buying something, there's this adrenaline rush and there's this excitement that you know this is going to change everything, um, and so there's so many expectations that I imagine you have to uncover once they get to the other side. Is it always like a start at square one? Is it almost like a new discovery process? How do you figure out where someone is post sale?
2: I will say that I do discovery again into the first call. So I'll take all the elements that the account executive has given me. I'll listen if available to any calls that were done through the account executive and the client and go deep into the discovery in terms of their objectives and challenges they're trying to solve for. Right. And once we've gone deep into it, the main point as an account manager in this first call once you understand their challenges, is to map the KPIs and the metrics that we're going to measure success on. And I think that helps set expectations because then they understand, right, this is how I'm actually going to measure value. And the first goal is really about that is what does success look like based on your objectives? I'm going to give you an idea in terms of how we can help you guide you to what success looks like and how we're going to measure
0: success over the next three, six, 12, and beyond. I love that you talked about measuring success. My One of my favorite podcasts right now is this podcast called churn.fm. And one of the recent guests said to make sure that when you onboard the customer, that you find a person who is going to be your KPI partner. I'm curious whether that's a, a practice that you guys follow at LinkedIn or... Or how you go about not just defining the KPIs, but actually being able to come back to them in a quarterly business review or at the renewal and say, hey, like we were able to impact this, not just your own usage statistics, which sometimes actually can be complicated to get, but actual business value.
2: Yeah, 100%. So. What we do in the first call with a client is we will set up what we call governance. And within governance, there are different types and roles of people. One is the executive sponsor. So who's the leader within the company that is sponsoring this program and is going to help drive change? And they're not going to go into the weeds. But the key role of, to your question, Jeremy, is what we call the program lead. Which is typically a day to day contact, but is also going to be the person that is going to be accountable for the KPIs, reviewing those KPIs on a quarterly basis, as you mentioned, or even on a monthly basis to the executive sponsor and all the different sales leaders to make the program accountable. And I just got a new account in my book of business where there's a lot of different sales leaders involved in the program, but there's no program lead at the moment. And one of the core things uh, I'm talking with them is we need to find that person, that program lead, who's going to be able to feed you that information on an ongoing basis, so that when we have our QBRs, we will be able to um, to uh, give you what value means, which is at LinkedIn not so much only about usage, because usage is good, but if it's not aligning to pipeline, it's not gonna help. So one is usage statistics. The second is what we do in terms of a ROI survey. So we'll send a survey on an ongoing basis to users to collect feedback in terms of what they think about the platform and so and get success stories. The success stories are great because they go into the mindset of someone who is more emotional and loves stories more than data. So that's going to cater to those people and those decision makers and the last one is what we call the ROI reporting which is our st- uh, usage stats being baked into CRM to provide more data proven results like pipeline win rate and deal size. So it's a combination of all those three, but to your point, having the program lead is important so that we can relate back those information and hopefully that the mobilizer within the
0: company to then provide that information back to the sales leaders internally. earlier, you said that you know there, there's sometimes like an unexpected amount of like they bought the dream, the customer buys the dream, but there's an unexpected amount of kind of change that they need to ride. You know, when I think about LinkedIn, I actually think about it as one of the more effortless. Experiences, right? Like, there's no training. I feel as though there's no training required on the. I don't know if you guys call it classic, uh, but also on the Sales Navigator side. Although I, you know, there's probably a lot of hidden, hidden stuff inside of Sales Navigator that people can discover and get value from. Uh, You know, we don't often talk product too much, but I'm curious. Like, what are your tips for people who are using Sales Navigator that are maybe underutilizing it? What are some of the most powerful features to get ROI out of? There are basically three things to be aware of when you're using Sales Navigator. So the
2: first one is, are you able to find the people the quickest way possible? And how uh, efficient are you in terms of finding those people in the accounts that you want to penetrate? And one of the least underutilized features is what we call using the Boolean search. And not a lot of people actually know how to use Boolean search. And it's funny, as I get new customers that have been on Sales Navigator for maybe two or three years, some of them don't even know that you could use Boolean Search using Navigator in the keyword section. And I would say that would be my number one tip. Understand what's Boolean Search to find the key people within the organizations and start mapping all those those individuals. The second is really around understanding people, which is going to help you build a campaign around personalization. So I think Kyle Coleman talks about it. I know you, Jeremy, talk about it all the time. And I think it's so true is you can't just like be blasting people. They're not going to uh, respond and response rate out just like dropping down right now. And the more, especially when you go to digital makers, you can personalize your messages, the more likely they're going to respond to you. And the second part of the training is going to be around all the insights that Sales Navigator is giving you so that you can personalize your message when you're reaching out to them. And the third part is more around key functionalities and integration with CRM. But I think the first two are really key if you want to be successful
0: with, uh, with Sales Navigator. I'm always super curious along these lines as well of, of, where, of how the team is constructed post-sale. And different companies obviously do it different ways to what extent do you have commercial and non-commercial responsibilities as a relationship manager? And do you have a CSM? Do you have a this? Do you have a that? So how are you guys structured post-sale? Yeah, so you have a relationship manager for sure. And
2: based on the spend amount, you will have a dedicated customer success manager. So relationship manager is quarter-carrying. So I have to renew my customers, upsell them, cross-sell them, And the customer success manager is not measured on quota. They have uh, different measurements, including health of a customer and if they're using the platform. But I do have customer success managers tied to the account, depending on the threshold of spend they have. Now, with the largest customers, we also have sometimes implementation consultants that are going to be there for the first 30 to 60 days, solely focused on making sure that the provision all the licenses and people are successful because those 30 to 60 days are so crucial. And if you're going to deploy, you know, thousand plus licenses, you might need an extra resource to help you there. Those would be the two people. What I find really key as well, and is involving executive sponsors at LinkedIn. And with some strategic accounts, I will definitely tap in in the very beginning of the relationship, on asking LinkedIn leaders to join in into the account and be an accountable partner to this customer along the life cycle.
0: That last bit on the executive sponsor, I think, is so valuable. It's another one I stole from a guest on churn.fm. The host there asks at the end, what's the one thing you would, you know, let's say you were you were hired into a new organization and and CS you know, net retention was, was poor, what's the one thing you would do? And he does not give them the option of learning, right? Like you have to run a play that you have run before. And one of the guests said, the play is absolutely align all your, your strategic accounts with executive sponsors on both sides. That's pretty killer. Tying the two things we've been, you know, two of the things we've been talking about together, which is these different roles of the relationship manager, the CSM, the implementation consultant, and so on, and QBRs, who runs point on the QBRs there? Is that the relationship manager or is it the CSM? Because, again, different organizations do, different, do it differently.
2: Yeah, so typically it would be the relationship manager, but we will provide different responsibilities in terms of who's going to talk about what. So typically I would be discussing points around their priorities, realigning to their priorities. I will give the space for the CSM to talk about the usage and how is that going tied to those priorities. and then. Most of the time, the relationship manager would be sharing the insights that they've gathered to uncover new problems or go deeper into existing objectives they may have. And then we will take turns in terms of who owns next steps in terms of maybe it's going to be enablement sessions with the team. Uh, Maybe it's going to be establishing relationships with uh, different stakeholders within the organization as well to provide additional value to the customer. But I would say we flex most of the time, but the relationship manager will own the first bottle of realigning on objectives and making sure we're on point. And the customer success manager will be on point on the, uh, the current usage of the platform.
1: I've got a question for you that goes a little bit away from this topic, but I'm so curious with your background, which is honestly incredible. You started, so you have marketing, MBA, all of these amazing aspects. You start as a BDR at LinkedIn, you get a taste of being in the field, working with customers, there's a lot of BDRs who are facing that decision between AE or a or relationship manager. How did you navigate that decision? What were the values you based on? Maybe long-term goals you based that on based on your background? How did you go about that decision?
2: That's a really good question. So something I didn't mention is before joining LinkedIn, I was actually a Sales Navigator customer. And Based out of Singapore, working at FICO, uh, we started with five licenses, and I was really, you know, the power user. And Sales Navigator gave me so much. Working at FICO as a user, I got to travel. I was a BDR at FICO. I got to travel to Indonesia, to Australia, because every meetings I was setting up through Sales Navigator, my local, my regional CMO told me, "I will let you go and fly out to those countries if you can set." X amount of meetings and go with a client partner and visit the customer. So I was like, this is awesome. And obviously, I use LinkedIn a lot. And having that experience as a client was the reason why I decided to jump ship from being a successful BDR to become an account manager because I had that experience of being a client. And I wanted to bring that to my customers. It's a specific you know, scenario. I will say, though, that I love being an account manager and I would really vouch for any BDR to become AMs because the traditional way of going things, BDR, AE, and then I'll become an AM. And what I love about being an AM, especially at LinkedIn, is that you wear three different hats. I definitely need to be prospecting and sometimes chasing new clients as an account manager. I definitely need to have my strategic mindset of a relationship manager and deliver value. And sometimes I will own, uh, especially when customers do not have a customer success manager, the hat of a customer success manager. So I'm doing all of those three roles at the same time, which I love, you know, as an account manager. And I would any listeners that want to become an am and are hesitant, just ping me, and I'll tell you all about it.
1: I would love to hear you know, a lot of people in tech, people have differing opinions on where an MBA fits into like a tech career now. And I would love to hear how that has set you up for success and how you see that playing out in your role at LinkedIn. And just, you know, how that has informed even I imagine how you set KPIs with your customers getting involved in in their KPIs.
2: Technically, I didn't do an MBA to the master degree. So the French system is very different from, I would say the US or let's say Anglo-Saxon system is, we don't do a lot of bachelor degrees. Most of uh, going to university, everyone will come out having a master degree in France. That's the first point. The one thing I will say that was super valuable going to business school in France is I had the opportunity of having a gap year between my first year of master's degree and a second year. And that's where I got all my experiences doing internships at Disney, at Schneider Electric, at a UN organization and have a taste of uh, so many different things before knowing what I really wanted to do. So not exactly, you know, an MBA, but good enough to grasp a lot of different experiences. And the second thing I'll say about that was that I leveraged it to travel and work in so many different organizations. So, you know, UN in Madrid, public organization, Schneider Electric, huge French company headquartered in Paris, Disney, as you mentioned before. I, you can see through my profile, just love international And that's
0: what business school gave me in terms of opportunities. Well, as a final question, just to play off that, you've lived a lot of places and and been a lot of places. The ones you've mentioned, right? Paris, Madrid, Singapore, Orlando. I believe you live in Toronto now. I saw Hong Kong as well on your LinkedIn profile. So, so many places. What's your favorite one so far? Basically, Singapore was...
2: I wouldn't say my favorite place, but it is the best decision I've ever made in my life was to actually, when I was in, uh, to actually go to Singapore. So I was in business school, didn't want to work in Paris and worked for a consulting firm, which most uh, graduates did during uh, my master's degree. And I was obviously feeling anxiety. My parents weren't happy. My friends were saying, you're stupid. You don't need to do this. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life in the sense that I didn't have a lot of money as well. I took my backpack, arrived, I remember, on the 4th of October of 2013 in Singapore. I arrived as a tourist. So hopefully the Singapore government doesn't (laughs) doesn't come back to me. But I had a due date of 18th of December of 2013. And if I didn't find a job by that time, I uh, had to leave the country, come back to France and find a job. And throughout that process, that's where you know, I really hustled on LinkedIn, connecting with folks, going for coffee chats, and hustled my way to start into sales. And Singapore means so many things to me. So one is, it started my journey in sales uh, when I started working at FICO. It got me into LinkedIn. I actually met my partner. She was from the same business school, but we met in Singapore. So, so many things happened. I honestly think that had I not taken that flight from France to Singapore, I wouldn't even be with my partner today and we wouldn't be having our kid. So Singapore holds a special place into my heart and that would be my choice.
0: Thank you so much. So for folks who are listening uh, and I'll just, I'm going to just jump right to it. Usually I ask people what's the best way for people to reach out to you, but this one's kind of obvious. So that was Fahad Nawaz. He is an enterprise relationship manager at LinkedIn and I presume the best way to connect with you is LinkedIn. And then... Katie Jane Bailey, my awesome co-host today, who is a senior enterprise account executive at Figma. Thanks, guys, for being on. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Mahad.
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.